I was on a solo road trip several years back and had fancied that I could make the 18 hour drive in one go. I was wrong and started to pass out at the wheel, so I decided to take a nap somewhere. The closest thing for miles was a little gas station set off of mountains in the middle of nowhere. Just dark landscape as far as you could see and some truck drivers ahead and behind on the road. There is one car at the gas station that I assume belonged to the clerk. I parked where I was, still illuminated by the station's lights, but away from the main parking spaces so that no one would reasonably need to pull up next to me. I set my alarm for 45 minutes and figured that I'd see how I felt then. I woke suddenly and glanced at my watch first and about 20 minutes had passed. Then I glanced out my driver's side window and found myself making eye contact with a man. A truck had pulled up about a space away from my car. There were no passengers and the driver was on his side of the truck with his front and back passenger doors open. He had a long chain in his hands and had seemed to be pulling it from the back of his truck while watching me sleep. A second after we made eye contact, he froze and stood still as he stared right at me. Then began quickly to pull the chain and take a step towards my window while not breaking eye contact. My keys were still in the ignition, so I made a hasty exit. As I pulled away, I looked at my rearview mirror and the man had moved back to his truck and rested his forearms on it while he watched me drive off. I can't prove he was doing anything nefarious, but there wasn't a need for him to park right next to me when I parked out of the way. He didn't need to watch me sleep or make intense eye contact. Didn't need to step towards my window. Not sure what was happening with the chain because there was nothing in his truck bed visible or around his truck that would call for a chain. Definitely didn't need to stop what he was doing and watch me drive away. I used to ride a motorcycle as a sole method of transportation when I was studying and I used to work at hotel bars during the summer holidays. Six years ago, I was working at a historic stereotypical Grand Hotel in a very rural area in the UK. I worked a long afternoon and evening into the night. I finished cleaning up the bar around 2am and walked to the underbelly of the hotel to retrieve my motorcycle and make my journey home. I can still clearly remember the feeling of the crisp night air and the absolute pitch black silence of the countryside after the hot and seemingly never ending nights of serving drinks to dinner goers and party goers. It was always sort of intensely relaxing. Now that being an adult meant not being scared of the dark or being outside on a motorcycle in the middle of nearly nowhere at 2am. Riding through the local town took me a few minutes before I left to follow the dark country roads home. At this point I rode a Honda 125cc around 11 horsepower, basic and old but clean. It did the job regardless of its quirks such as a dim headlight which would dim and flicker even more when coming to a stop. I was riding along this pitch black roads with fields and woods surrounding me very much alone for about 20 minutes. Then I saw a brief blast of bright blue headlights in my mirrors coming from behind. Moments later, dazzling headlights arrived behind me in seconds. 
Almost immediately, a large Range Rover pulls out and overtakes me, blasting past barely inches away from me. I responded with a large blast of my horn. Big mistake. The Range Rover pulls up in front of me and slams on its brakes in what seemed like an attempt to have me lose control under sudden braking or rear-end the range. Bikes can rely on their drum brakes, even when they're old, to stop pretty quickly, so I didn't rear-end the maniac in front. I came to a controlled stop. I see the door of the Range Rover crack open and the figure began to step out. I went for it, using all 11 horsepowers of this little Honda's power, pulling out and overtaking. However, in those moments, the anger crazed maniac had shut his door and stepped on the accelerator, causing us to be level at accelerating together when I had reached his car. He then started to run me off the road, pulling to the right, wedging me further over towards the ditch on the side of the road. This is where I ended up, struggling to control my bike on the wet, dew-heavy grass along the side of the road trying to stop the 140kg motorcycle from dropping into the ditch. I struggled to regain balance, but managed to pull the bike onto the road. At this point, I noticed the guy got back out of the Range Rover and walked around the back, opened it up, and was reaching inside. I turned the bike to face the other side of the road, ready to turn either way to make my escape from the escalating situation. Just as I looked to turn, I took one more look at him. I see him pulling out a large, long object out of the back of his Range Rover. I just went for it, taking another glance over my shoulder after 200 meters to see he'd begun to continue driving up the road, away from where I was ran off the road. I slowed down to see what he would do next after driving away from me. He reached the top of the road and pulled over to the left, waiting for me. The lights were reflecting on the road. It was fucking eerie. My heart was beating so fast and it felt like time had stopped. I just carried on in the opposite direction to find an alternate route home in the pitch black. Just before doing this I checked my phone for signal to see that there was no mobile coverage at all. This just happened to me yesterday. I live in the northeast part of the country, so this time of year my ventures into the woods tend to slow down because of the weather. I consider myself an outdoor and wildlife enthusiast. There's nothing I love more than going into the deep woods, whether it be camping, hiking, taking photographs, or leaving trail camps to capture the beauty of nature and wildlife. I'm always excited to see what I captured when I retrieve my cameras. When I hike through the woods, I'm always looking for something new, different, or exciting. Something that I've never seen before. Go back to yesterday. The ground was wet, muddy, and still had remnants of snow on it from the previous two snowstorms in the area. The ground was in very poor condition, and I was probably a half mile into the woods. I would not expect anyone to have been out there, especially any time in the past two weeks. In the distance, I see something strange hanging from a tree. Obviously, I knew it wasn't an animal. I was curious to see what it was, since I myself had left cameras out only to retrieve them days later. I thought it could possibly be another person leaving out cameras of some kind, so I approached the tree. 
It was a blue cloth bag with a clear front and a clear back so you could see through it. Surprisingly, the back was dry, which I couldn't understand because there was still water dripping from the tree branches and leaves because of the recent storms. I saw no footprints or any signs that anyone had walked up and placed it there within the last two days or so. I looked through the clear plastic on each side of the bag, being careful not to actually touch the bag. It certainly was not the something exciting I was expecting to see that day. I could see through the plastic and it clearly contained nude pics and a guy dressed in drag. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not my cup of tea, but whatever floats your boat. There was a note behind the plastic with an email address and a message stating, This sissy pig slut wants a good time. I was definitely stunned to see those contents and creeped out at the fact of how this bag got there, why it was dry, and there was no footprint showing anyone had put it there. Could it be from a scorned lover looking to embarrass a man in photos? An unsettling feeling came over me and I felt like I was being watched. I could hear crackling branches in the distance. Was the person who put that bag there watching me? What if it was some kind of trap? I don't know, but I got the fuck out of there as fast as I could. Maybe it was some sick game. I definitely wasn't sticking around to find out. This is actually two stories in one. The main story happened less than 20 minutes ago at about midnight. I was out doing some late night fishing at a small but deep hole on the side of the state road near my house. Every time I fish here at night by myself, I worry about what would happen. What would I do if someone was to pull over next to me? Quick detour for the second story. I wasn't always like this. I used to fish by myself in the middle of the night all the time without having a care in the world. But there was this one night about 10 years ago, which perhaps merits its own post, but I will slide it in here and include it in the story anyway. I was fishing off a seawall next to a bridge and a car pulls over next to me. Two young men, but older than me at the time, get out. They walk up to me casually and ask if I'm catching anything. I told them no, not really. I wasn't at all suspicious of them. I thought they were going to fish and they were just asking me if I had any luck or not before pulling out their gear. The bridge was on a popular fishing spot. I was sitting on the cement seawall with my legs dangling over the edge. One of the men suddenly shoves me off the seawall into the water. They both grab my fishing gear and take off in their car. The fall was only about 7 feet or so, but it was just enough that I couldn't lift myself out of the water up the cement wall. I had to swim around to where the water was more shallow so I could climb up the wall. My mom had dropped me off that night and I was supposed to call her to come pick me up later in the night. My cell phone had gotten wet and would not work. To make matters worse, I was a smoker at the time, and my cigarettes had also gotten wet. As you could imagine, I really needed a cigarette. I didn't know what to do other than just sit there, knowing eventually my mom would drive up randomly. She was furious until I explained what happened. I shuddered to think about how I or anyone else that they would have done this to could have died. These people had no idea whether I could swim or not, and apparently they did not care. 
If they had seen the news the next day that I drowned under the bridge, would they have put two and two together? Would they even care? Even if you assume everybody is a strong swimmer, the person could have easily hit their head, and there are many rocks under the seawall. And for what? $50 of cheap fishing gear? Clearly ever since that night, 10-ish years ago, I've been much more cautious when I'm alone at night, but especially when I'm fishing alone at night. So back to what actually happened tonight, which triggered me to write this post. I had luckily just finished up and loaded my car back up with all the gear. I was actually sitting in my car making an Instagram post showing off a fish that I caught, a couple of yellow bullhead catfish, and some bluegill. I was trying to quickly write a post and then head home, so I was deep into the world on my phone, not really paying attention to anything else. Something causes me to look up out my driver's side window, and there's a pickup truck sitting there that I didn't even hear pull up. It has one of those big steel frame structures around the bed of the truck. I don't know what they are called, but I associate them with hunters and trappers. I have no idea whatsoever if that's an accurate association or not. I do feel like I've seen them, or something similar, holding kennels of hunting dogs, so maybe that's where I got the idea. There's this very stereotypical chubby redneck mullet type guy looking out the window at me, smiling a creepy smile. He was a passenger. I did not and could not look past him to the driver. I have no idea how long they were sitting there. I very quickly debated winding my window down and asking them what they wanted, but settled on putting in my car into drive and driving around the truck and down the street. I was so freaked out that I didn't immediately go home. I went somewhere else and pulled over, looked around to see if they were anywhere to be seen, and then I actually went back to the fishing spot to see if they were still sitting there or not. I did not pull over, I just drove by. They were not there. It will drive me crazy wondering why they pulled over. Did they have something bad planned? Were they just curious and wanted to help? Will I have to worry about seeing them around town after driving off on them like that? I realized that my reaction is not completely fair. They could have just been pulling over to fish. Although, you have to realize how small this fishing hole is. It's literally a fishing hole on the side of the road. It's probably around the size of a dining room or something. They could have pulled over there to see if I needed help. Who knows? All I know is, I was thinking if I rolled down my window to find out what they wanted, I could have ended up with a gun to my face, for all I know. Then I wouldn't have a chance to drive off, so I drove off without acknowledging them in any way, so that I didn't miss my chance. Even now I'm worried about the fact that my car has some slightly identifying marks. Not crazy noticeable, but just some small stickers in the window. And if I pissed them off by driving off like that, and they live around here. What if my wife meets up with them sometime? What if she has my daughter with her? Am I just paranoid? I'm still a little freaked out. To understand my story, you sort of have to know a teeny bit about our trespassing laws in our country, in that we don't have any as long as you're respectful and non-destructive. You can walk over any hills you like, and in my case, camp on any beach of your choosing. So long as once you leave the area, it is how you found it. 
I used to love camping when I was little. Our family would go multiple times a year with a large group of my parents, friends, and their kids. On average, there would be maybe 10 of us at a time, which was a bit of a logistical challenge since we always headed out to this one really remote beach on the coast. Actually, we weren't the only ones. There's always yachts bobbing just off the shore with people in them and other campers lining up and down the beach. Most of them also had children or teenagers, so it wasn't a wild party scene. It was very much an informal family holiday spot. There was even a small building with toilets and showers installed nearby, even though it was in the middle of nowhere. I guess the local council must have figured it out and got sick of people peeing behind bushes. We took a trip up in spring 2011. I'm really bad with the time, but I know this because I just got my dog in the winter of 2010 after picking her out in November from a shelter as a birthday gift from me to me as I paid her adoption fee. I know you all love dogs and she will be very important to the story later. So let me tell you a little bit about Parmesan. Parmesan came to me as a six month old puppy who had been rescued from a dog fighting situation. We're not entirely sure what breed she is exactly, but my best guess is a Lurcher Staffy mix. She is a wonderful, well-tempered dog with people and most dogs, but you absolutely do not threaten her. She'll have you. So by the time of this camping trip, I had Parmesan for a few months. She had never been camping with us before, but as far as my family are concerned, dogs go on camping trips. So when we all piled into the car, she came too. Unusually though, none of our family friends could make it. So it was only me, my sister, my dad and my mom. I didn't mind. I wasn't attached to the other kids. I'd rather play with my dog and I still have my sister. The drive took the best part of six hours because we left a bit later, although I don't remember why we had left later than normal, and we ended up arriving at sunset. Not a good time to be building a tent, but we expected to arrive to the other campers already set up and the beach illuminated by campfires. However, the beach was empty. In spite of this, my parents started taking out the stuff to build the tent. They asked us to fetch some of the lighter bags from the boot of the car while they sat pointing the flashlights on the sand to see properly. I rolled down the window of the car for Parmesan before getting out. It was pretty hot for the time of the year and I wanted her to have air. Anyways, I always gotta be looking out for my furry little homie. As we were fumbling about in the dark on the beach in the middle of nowhere, it's pretty spooky. The road that led us to the beach was circular and had a bridge over the water, meaning you could basically circle the beach in a big O shape if you felt like it. I wasn't really paying any attention to the road. After about 15 minutes of my dad trying to nail down the tent into the sand, my mom asked him, have you seen that car drive around? It's been a few times. My dad kind of shrugged it off. He's sort of like that. I don't know if he said anything back to her, but after a few minutes, a car pulled up next to ours on the road and someone got out. It was maybe 15 to 20 feet from where the cars were and the light was pretty low, except for the torches. We weren't expecting to see anyone else out there at this point. I think my mom said, it must be security. 
I don't know why a random beach would have security. I think what she meant was wildlife trust or something, as they occasionally come down there to check on things. The guy was walking pretty unevenly. He must have been drunk or high because he had a stagger to him. There was absolutely no way this guy could be sober. Cool, a junkie. Not unusual to find, but it's rare to see them in the wild. As he walked up into our flashlight range, we realized that he was carrying a large knife, maybe 15 inches. Although I was small at the time, so maybe my sense of scale was off. I don't like my dad, but credit to him once he saw him, he got up immediately, holding onto the camping mallet and putting us behind him. The man began to shout wildly at us that we can't camp here and that he was just letting us know. My dad tried to initially be a little low key with the guy and told him that was fine and that we would leave, but that didn't work. He kept coming closer to us. So my dad started shouting and the man kept shouting back. My sister and I were crying. I remember shaking. I was utterly terrified as I'm sure anyone would be in that situation. It really did seem like this guy and my dad were going to get into a fight. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't fancy my dad's chances. While it's grim to consider, I absolutely was convinced that he would have killed my dad and possibly us as well once he was done, as I don't think my mother would have the common sense to run with us. I love her, but she's always put my dad and her relationship with him above us. This isn't how it went down. A bolt from the black, like a wolf descending on its prey, took us all by surprise. Most of all, the man with the knife. In that moment, Parmesan was an apex predator, large canines representing nature. She got him by the arm and clamped down hard, ripping his jacket and shredding his skin underneath. He dropped the knife as it had been in the arm that she had gotten by. He kicked her, punched her, and eventually got her off. He grabbed the knife from the sand and ran back to his car and drove off. Parmesan didn't follow him. She stayed with us, mouth covered in blood. Quickly as we could, we gathered our things and all got back to the car, all pretty shook up by the incident. I looked Parmy over. She was okay, but the car's window was much more open than I had left it. We think what happened was when the shouting started, she must have pulled her paws on top of the gap that I had left open for her. As it was the older car and had the rolly down windows and not the electric button, I think she must have been able to hit it with her paws and force it down enough to squeeze out. This is not the end of my story. We were all pretty scared and since we had a dog with us, couldn't book a hotel for the night. My parents decided to just drive home so we could all feel safe. But first, we had to drive to the nearest town for petrol as we were kind of low. I spent the time trying to clean up Parmy a little. I always loved dogs, but what she just did for me blew my mind. As we drove through the town, we came across a petrol station, but it looked closed. My dad drove up closer to get a better look and stuck his head out the window to look at the sign. My mom asked him what on earth he was doing and he told her that he was trying to see when it opens. Never. My heart fucking sank. Parked in a corner behind a van, so we hadn't seen him at first, was a man with a knife. He was sitting on the hood of the car, using some tissue paper to clean up his arm. It looked pretty bad. 
Without stopping to refuel or look anywhere else in town, my dad drove right out of there. We decided to go to the next town over, but the next town over was 60 miles away. We didn't have that much petrol. As we realized, as we were driving, we were going to break down. That's fine, Dad said. We had AA cover. They'd come to tow us home, or at least somewhere acceptable that night, better than staying in that last town. After driving for maybe five minutes, lights started flashing us from behind. Another car. The same car the man had been driving. It was him, following us. He must have realized we were low on petrol. The next half hour was the worst half hour of my life. I had a complete and utter breakdown, as did everyone really. I could tell my parents were trying to keep it under wraps so it wouldn't upset us, but we weren't really little kids. We were both double digits, and we knew how dangerous the situation was. The man followed us for 55 miles before he peeled onto another road. Our fuel meter was on the big red E for empty for the last 10 miles. We were driving on fumes. I don't really believe in God, but if he does exist, that was definitely one of his miracles. Once we got there, we drove to a petrol station and refilled to a full tank before driving the rest of the way home. My sister and I slept in the car after that. I only woke up once we had made it home, just grateful that nothing worse had happened than that. After getting some sleep, my mom phoned the non-emergency line for the police and reported what happened. They never got back to her after that, but apparently the woman she spoke to said they may wish to in the future, as he matched a description given by a suspect one in relation to a murder charge. No idea if it was actually the guy or just a random psycho. As I said, they never got back to her. So what's the takeaway then? Other than the crazy man on the beach, let's not meet. Well, for me, it's that I love Parmy. She's still with us now, old as the hills are and twice as grizzled, as one of my mom's friends likes to joke. I don't know why she did what she did that day. I couldn't tell you where her thought process was. What I do know is, this poor puppy was born into an environment where they abused and neglected her, only to be rescued and taken to shelter where her mother and siblings all found homes before her. Despite how badly people had treated her, when I took her home, she forgave, but never forgot. I think the saying is, never trust a person who doesn't like a dog, but I always trust a dog when they don't like a person. They have a very good understanding of human body language, and I think she must have understood how much danger we were in. If you're able to do so, please adopt. You might find yourself in a situation like mine one day. I promise you that if you're willing to save a four-legged friend's life, they will pay you back tenfold without the thought of their own safety. I paid 78 pounds for her adoption fee, but it chills me to my bones knowing that if I hadn't been so insistent on a dog, I might be dead. Growing up, I spent every summer vacation at my grandparents' house in rural Tennessee. When I say rural, I mean their town was literally a cluster of homes with a singular one-lane road as the only way in and out, 45 minutes from the nearest freeway on-ramp, 30 minutes to a grocery store, and an hour and a half to a Sam's Club, Costco. My grandparents still live there and make the drive monthly, but fuck that. 
What I'm trying to say is, it's as remote as it gets. I'd play outside for hours and hours and maybe see two or three cars. It's a lot more built up now, but it was nice while it lasted. It was around 11.30pm and me and my dad couldn't sleep because it was an especially hot and muggy night. We decided to take a drive through the hilly, curvy back roads that I absolutely loved and still do. There was a scenic access site that was just a clearing overlooking a cliff about 15 minutes further into the woods from my grandparents' house. It wasn't very well known. It was down a narrow, two-tracked lane with a couple of dilapidated trailers lining it every quarter mile roughly. Due to the isolation and lack of any real police presence, this area was full of meth during this time and there was a local rumor of some inbred cult in the woods. Keep in mind, it was the middle of the night by the time we got to the parking lot for the overlook, which was just a gravel pit. My dad has always had a bit of a intuition and asked me if I really wanted to get out of the car. That made me hesitate, but I saw the amount of lightning bugs that were out, and catching them was my favorite pastime. Armed with a flashlight and an old Tupperware container with some holes drilled in it, we set off down the path to the cliff. We immediately heard noises in the woods heavy footsteps. Way too heavy for a deer and there weren't really bears present in this area. The woods were usually quiet besides that. We both thought we saw something hide behind one of the trees out of the corner of our eyes and I didn't realize he saw it too until we brought it up in the car and vice versa. Here's where it gets freaky. Once we made it down the path to the cliff we saw an outline of a man. He was about my dad's height 5'10". But he was as thin as the rail. He couldn't have weighed more than 120 pounds. Here's the thing. He wasn't admiring the beautiful moonlight scenery over the cliff. He was standing perpendicular to it, just staring off into the trees, perfectly still. My dad slightly nudged me in the direction of our car. As I started walking back, he shined a flashlight on the man. As soon as the light was shined on the man, my dad gasped and dropped the flashlight before literally picking me up and sprinting full force back to our car. As we peeled out, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. His face looked like a goddamn melted candle, he said after a few minutes of silence, after we had pulled out to the main road. Apparently, the man had no nose, just two nostril holes on his face. The way he was described sounded like he was a burn victim. We brought it up to my grandma the next day at breakfast. She immediately turned pale. Apparently, there was a meth lab explosion up in the hills a few months prior, and they were unable to rebuild the building, so they resorted to making their product in the woods. And were very defensive, even homicidal about their stash. So I'm new to Reddit and found this sub and think this story fits here. I've had a number of odd, frightening experiences in the woods since. I'm a huge outdoors guy and pretty much outside all the time I can manage it. So this happened when I was much younger. I want to say freshman in high school, probably around 2008. There used to be this road near where I lived in California called Crook Road. It was barely a road. No one traveled on it and it was surrounded by small patches of forest and abandoned barns and houses. I would typically go there with my friends to skateboard and hang out. This one night, I was hanging out with two of my friends, Lucas and Dorian, and someone wanted to go to Crook Road to hang out since it was creepy at night. 
It might sound lame, but we loved exploring like a bunch of fifth graders and weren't really into smoking or anything. So what else was there to do? I asked my then 20 year old brother James if he could drive us down into one of the nature reserves by that road. This specific reserve was larger than the others and had a network of gravel paths leading through it. Basically, we were looking for unexplored territory to hike on. Soon, one particular path we were traveling down had become so narrow, James Ford Explorer couldn't pass through it. So we got out and walked for a while, chatting and just having fun. We walked through the woods for about a half hour until it had gotten relatively dark out and the sun was gone. At which point we turned around to head back to the car. It's now I should mention that despite being near a lot of subdevelopments, this patch of forest was huge. I'd say about a thousand acres and rarely visited since it was easy to get lost in, especially at night. It was challenging to get the car turned around but James managed it and we're off down the road. Dorian proposed that we turn down a different path we had passed earlier since we had about another 40 minutes until our parents wanted us back, and we agreed. Down this path was a tiny pond Dorian wanted to check out and take pictures since he hadn't got the opportunity to visit it at night. It was slow going since the road was even crappier than the main one that we were traveling on that turned off a croak road. Minutes later, we got into a slight argument. Dorian was convinced that James had taken the wrong turn since we should have arrived at the pond by now, while James claimed that he had been driving straight the whole time. It was dark after all. Eventually, we came up to a fork in the road, and none of us were familiar with it. None of us knew which way to go, so we ended up guessing and going left, hoping that both directions ultimately led back to the main path. None of us were scared or anything. In fact, we were actually excited and intrigued, driving through the middle of nowhere at night. It was at this point where we rounded a small bend in the road, and the headlights fell upon a surreal sight. There were four figures emerging from the forest and crossing the road, wearing what looked like large cloaks and hoods up, holding flashlights. One guy at the back of the group was dragging a large duffel bag, a human-sized duffel bag. We all froze and stopped mid-conversation. As soon as our high beams landed on the four figures, they froze as well. James pulled to the left and went around them. Driving past them felt like an eternity because we couldn't have been going over five miles per hour due to the shitty road conditions. Sitting in the passenger seat, I could see them inches beyond my window and they were indeed wearing black robes and holding flashlights. I didn't get a good look at the bag, but judging by the way the guy was holding it, something heavy was inside that bag. None of us said a word until the road straightened out and we were far past these guys, at which point James muttered, what the hell was that? We continued down the road in silence until I heard Lucas say, holy shit, and repeated himself in a louder, panicked voice, they're fucking coming back. I twisted around in my chair to see Lucas pointing out the back window. I could barely see anything, but about a hundred yards away we saw beams of four lights shaking erratically. The guys were without a doubt running after us. All of us screamed for James to floor it and he sped down the road. The car was bouncing and shaking uncontrollably as we flew over the berms and potholes. I kept my eyes on the flashlight beams until we rounded another bend in the road and they were out of sight. Thankfully, 
The path managed to take us back to the main path. James gunned it down the main path until we popped off by Croak Road and got the hell out of there. The weirdest thing about it was there couldn't have been a vehicle anywhere near those guys for 50 miles in each direction. We would have seen one if there had been. We had explored most of those areas before and there wasn't anywhere to pull off the road and park. We didn't say anything more until we were back at my place. We talked about it for a bit and then my friends went home and James and I went to bed. I didn't know if I should call the cops or not, but James, who I guess would be the adult in the situation, seemed reluctant, so I dropped it. I never told my parents until just before writing this, and they kind of scolded me for not telling them, and that we should have contacted the authorities, just to report suspicious people in the preserve. I still wish to know how the hell they got there, where they were going, and what was in the bag. My family and I were driving from Ohio to Wyoming one holiday season to visit family about 10 years ago. Due to the storms up north, we traveled straight west instead of northwest at first and split the trip at Omaha, staying the night before heading up through Nebraska into South Dakota. Once we were far enough north, we turned west onto the I-90. At that point, it had been over an hour since we saw anywhere that might have had a public restroom and we were on the state routes, so no rest stops. Those of you who have traveled with young kids know that that's close to their bladder's limit, and our daughter was begging us to stop somewhere to go pee. South Dakota was similarly deserted, or even worse, as we headed west. Finally, we reached a desperately needed rest stop, as my at the time five-year-old and I both needed to pee by then. Just as we pulled in, the truck that had been following us for a while pulled in two, I didn't think much of it at first until I started opening my door. My head turned to the right where the truck was parked a couple spots over. My eyes met the driver's and I just shivered. He was a skinny white guy, straggly gray brown beard with dark eyes. I could see that he was wearing a dingy, dirty blue plaid shirt. He got out of his 90s brown and cream truck and started rummaging in the bed. I told my husband I didn't want to go into the rest stop alone because of this guy and the weird feeling I got from him. He thought I was being a little silly but agreed to come with us. At that point, the next stop was Wall, South Dakota, about 100 miles according to the huge billboards we passed advertising it. He thought it was better to empty his bladder even though he didn't particularly feel the need. I grabbed my daughter and we headed inside, followed by the guy who finished rummaging at his truck but wasn't carrying anything when I glanced back. My daughter and I did our business in the women's restroom and headed back out the lobby. As I expected, my husband already was out there since he didn't have to chaperone a small child. The old guy was also in the teeny lobby area. He was just standing there staring at my husband. My husband rushed us back to the car. As we were buckling in, he locked the doors. He told me that the guy hadn't gone into the restrooms and was just standing in the lobby the whole time. He agreed with me that we might have just had a close call and he was glad that it hadn't just been me and my daughter out there. However, that's not the end of the story. Remember how I mentioned Wall and that it was 100 miles away? Well, that was 100 miles of pretty empty landscape but a decent number of turnoffs from the interstate. We didn't see the truck following us and thought the episode was behind us. 
except when we stopped in Wall to grab lunch and some road snacks, plus look around the homely but fun little tourist trap in the middle of nowhere. We saw the guy in the store, not even 20 feet from us. Same face, beard, dirty plaid shirt. Thankfully, we had already eaten, so since he was staring at us again, we quickly paid for our snacks and trinkets and got the heck out of there. Thankfully, we didn't see him again, but I was seriously creeped out until we reached our relatives in Wyoming, safely with no other sight of that truck. This happened a few years ago when my family was traveling out west. We were traveling through Saskatchewan late at night and I was in the front seat with my dad talking to him, helping him stay awake. We were on a two lane highway in the middle of nowhere and it was one of those places out in the prairies with literally no trees and barely any buildings for kilometers. I don't remember the last town we had gone through but it was a good 30 kilometers back and I remember the next town we went through was a good distance after this encounter. After driving for a while, we see this guy on the side of the road just staring at our car as we drove by. He wasn't hitchhiking or anything and didn't have a car or bike or anything with him. He just stood in the grass right by the road staring at us and watching us go by. This was in the middle of nowhere, no trees, no farmhouses nearby, just a guy in a white shirt and jeans in the middle of nowhere. Needless to say, my dad stepped on the gas after that. It was definitely one of the strangest things I've seen and wonder what could have driven someone to just be out on the road at night in the middle of nowhere like that. I guess I'll start with some background. I'm a 33 year old female, but the story takes place when I was a teenager living in a suburb of Chicago. The village I lived in was quiet and middle class. We lived like a mile away from the police station and the worst crimes we had were a murder or two and a robbery, only once in a blue moon, 99% of the time, boring and more boring. Unless you had a car, you were stuck just walking around the park at night with your friends, kind of boring. Anyway, one night, my girlfriend and I decided to hang out at the park with some guys at 12 in the morning. The night was a bit windy and had a full moon. I even got a kiss that night from the boy I liked. But the night wasn't just fun and hanging out late. There was a deep forest by the park with a stream and a playground right next to it. There's two bridges, one of wood that everyone uses and one bridge made of rocks that was rarely used because it was deeper in the forest. These both went over the stream, connecting the two halves of the forest and park area. I get to the rock bridge in a minute. We hang around on the swings and chatted and just spent the evening together. I'm sitting and just looking around, talking while enjoying the peace and quiet and the moonlight. I have full view of the forest and the dip of earth that I know leads to the stream. I see something moving over the dip of the earth, some dark shape. It looked like it was crawling out of the forest. An arm, then another arm. It's pulling itself out of the ditch, a figure darker than the surrounding forest. I'm sitting there, frozen. I think I'm seeing things. It kind of lays there, on the ground, and doesn't move. A flash of fear grips me. What if it comes this way? I look at my friend, and no one notices anything. I look back, and it's gone. Did it go back, or go somewhere? 
I really wanted to get out of there. Then one friend asked, Did you guys hear about the urban legend of the rock bridge over the stream? Apparently, some kids or something played on the bridge and fell over and died. What a thing to say after what I saw. But I didn't ask anyone anything, and I just pretended I didn't see anything. But the experience stuck with me. I never talk about it because it must have been my imagination. Things that only really happen in scary movies, right? But I really went back to the park after that. And Black Thing, if you're real, I hope we never meet again. Who knows what would have happened if you saw me the same time I saw you. First of all, let's preface this by saying it was very early in the 90s. And as we all know, it was a very different world those days. And I was pretty naive for a kid. Also, I kind of had a messed up childhood. So this was not the worst of things to happen by far. And therefore, I pretty much brushed it off. When I was about 11 or 12 years old, I would visit the Boys and Girls Club a lot, which was pretty big back then. And my parents thought by sending me to a Boys and Girls Club for the summer only made sense. The camp was not an overnight type deal, but featured all the normal things you would expect, like a lake, arts and crafts area, crappy school style lunches. I did the normal camp things like find a girlfriend and get into trouble. The camp was run by counselors, which I can only assume were in their 20s or 30s, and when you're 12 that seems old. And as you would expect, they would come up with very interesting punishments for kids, like being forced to carry one of those huge wooden totem poles in circles of a hot field for some time. I never actually had this punishment, but I remember the older kids doing it. Or just straight punching you in the chest and knocking the wind out of you, which I did experience. One of the counselors that I experienced this with was named TJ, and he was a very large, well-built guy in his 20s. One day I did something wrong and got sent to the lunch area for essentially detention. This area was actually a large concrete floor with a wooden roof that was attached to a cabin that contained the kitchen. It was basically a school lunch setup where you would come up and choose chocolate milk or orange juice and get served a crappy turkey sandwich, a pack of mayo, and one of those amazing brownies. When I got to detention, I noticed that there was four or five kids already sitting on the benches and TJ's in front of everyone by the lunch serving area, pacing and saying something. I sit down and don't really remember what happened until things started to get weird. TJ pulled out a knife and got an apple. He started skinning and stabbing it and saying stuff like, this is what I'll do to you if you get into trouble again and other things of that nature. At the time, I honestly didn't feel scared in any way due to my tendency to completely shut down when shit gets bad. But I do remember feeling very creeped out and that he was trying very hard to be threatening. The younger kids, especially a little girl who was maybe eight or so, was freaking out and crying. The next thing I remember is him telling her to follow him into the kitchen. I then heard a lot of screams and cries coming from the back of the kitchen. After a while, he came back out with her. Her face streamed with tears. I remember it vividly. He then looked at me and another boy and told us to follow him as he escorted us into a huge walk-in refrigerator and brought us inside. He said, I want you to both start screaming and acting like I'm killing you in here. If you don't make the other kids scared, I will kill you for real. We did as he asked and we closed the door and started screaming and wailing. 
at this point. I honestly thought it was kind of funny because I rationalized that the little girl was told to do the same thing. Anyway, after five or ten minutes, he let us out and told us to go back to the benches. Again, I don't remember anything after this. Just kind of a blank. I remember when I got home that night from camp telling my mom about it. And I remember her calling someone. And I think the guy got fired. I don't remember ever seeing him again. And my parents never sent me back. I never really thought about it much growing up. But as the years have gone by, I look back to things that I shrugged off as normal. I now see that they are anything but that. Fifth grade was one hell of a year for me. Geometry Dash 2.0 and Minecraft 1.9 were released. I got my first taste of real gaming when I got a PS4 for Christmas. And I even switched schools halfway through the school year, causing me to meet a lot of new people. And a lot of my new friends became the basis of my social circle that would eventually lead me to becoming one of the more popular kids in high school today. However, I also had a pretty creepy encounter with some random guy that year too. Back in November 2015, when I was in 5th grade, my family and I went on a road trip through Texas. We stopped at various campsites. Our first stop was in Sonora State Park. We were staying there for one night and leaving the next afternoon to go to another state park. The next morning, I went on a bike ride to go to the restroom and saw a random guy waving at me from his campsite. Taking it as a friendly gesture, I waved back at him and continued pedaling down to the bathrooms. I did my business and started to bike back to my campsite when the same guy shouted, Hey kid, over here. I slowed down to a stop, but kept my distance because of stranger danger. Yeah? I shouted back. The guy said, Do you have a girlfriend? I replied, No. He then said, Well, I have a daughter down here with me, and I can hook you up with her. Why don't you come down here so you can meet her? The guy had nothing set up, no tent or trailer. And the only thing in his campsite was his truck with clear windows, and I did not see a girl at all. This realization set a sudden rush of horror through me. So I yelled, I'm fine, and started pedaling slowly enough, and then eventually booking it out back to my campsite. I told my dad, and he said that it was probably nothing, and didn't do anything about it. This story sort of creeps me out to this day, because that guy probably had malicious intentions. Shame that there's a lot of people like that in this world. So me and my brother decided to go camping because we had never done it together before. We set up camp, drank a little, and then went for a hike around the area. For context, there was a horse-shaped access road with camping lots in the middle. When we got back, there was a middle-aged guy with glasses, a button-up shirt, and a vest, jeans and dockers, just standing in the road looking at our campsite. Reminds me of Ted Bundy now that I think about it. He saw us and then acted like he was looking in the sky or looking in the general direction, but past us or something. He then turned and walked away down the road. But then he came back, staring at our area for a bit. He paced back and forth, but not frantically, for a while and then walked away. He came back again, still looking, standing perfectly still at our campsite. As we were having some beers, 
His body language made it seem like he was unsure about us or something pertaining to us. It seemed like he was trying to build up the will to do something, each time staying a little longer. We were pretty sure he was sizing us up to figure out if he could steal stuff or do something worse. I guess he decided that we were too much to handle, both me and my brother being 6 foot, around 200 pounds. He then went to another camp area, down the road, and did the same thing for a bit. Then he walked down the road some more, around a bend, and disappeared. Nothing was stolen and nothing happened to us. Still creepy as hell. We still make jokes about being bum-fucked. Fun times. We never saw him at any other campsite, so we aren't sure if he was camping there. Okay, so I don't really know how to start this story off, but this just happened like an hour ago, and I'm still spooked. So a bit of preface, me and my friend are home alone right now, and have been for a few hours. Every time my friend comes over, we go to the woods by my house, and it's normally uneventful. We usually throw rocks, and break trees and stuff. Harmless fun. But this time, something else happened. Like I said, we're home alone. And we have been for a while. We went outside to the woods. And the trip was uneventful. But once we got there, something was off. Everything was dark. Tons of trees had been knocked down. The entire place was not how I remembered it being. We kept going in. Still having our usual harmless fun. And at one point, my friend turned to me and said we should go back. I looked at my phone. And decided it had only been 30 minutes. So we might as well stay a little longer because it'll be a few hours until anyone would want us to be home. We continued on, finding strange things, like an old crushed Mountain Dew can, probably 10 to 20 years old, and a toy boat which had been completely destroyed by the wind and water and other things, and was probably older than the can. Our plan was to go further than we had ever been into the woods, which isn't very hard for us because I've barely been that deep. After walking for a while, we came to a landmark I knew marked the deepest that we've ever been. A while back, when I was going far in, I came to a bridge built on a log that fell over the river in the middle of the woods. However, one thing was different. There was something sitting on top of it. Whatever was on it was small and resembled the head of an animal. When we got closer, we got a good view of it. It was a deer skull, pearly white and clean sitting on the bridge with no clue as to who put it there and where the rest of it was. Behind the river, there's a huge hill with a creepy small house on it. And while we were looking around, we heard a creak or some high-pitched noise from up towards it. Freaked out, we began to run. And from behind me, I hear my friend scream and I hear him running behind me. We both keep running. And once we reach the edge of the woods, we step onto the road. I asked him why he screamed, and he said he heard footsteps next to him. We quickly made our way home, and when we got here, the garage door was open. Not knowing if we left it open or not, we ran inside, locking the door, checking the house, and turning on the alarm. Now we're sitting here, and by the time I finish this, it's nearly two hours since, and I can't shake the fear of the eerie woods from me. So I used to hear tons of stories about ghosts, and I also watched a lot of horror movies. But since I had never experienced any ghost encounters, 
I was the guy like, meh, these ghost things are created by humans to make money off of making movies about it and other things like ghost hunters. Okay, let me get to the story. One day, me and my two friends visited a spooky forest. Not nearby, but we managed to get there just to check it out as we love the natural atmosphere. You know, giving my lungs some adrenaline of fresh air. The time we reached there was about 7 p.m. when it was already getting dark. And just to let you know, there's no light source in the forest, except for the entrance and exit, so it was pretty much darker than we expected. My friend had his apple, and I had my tablet with dual flashlights so we could direct them and use them to see each other. An hour passed and we were having conversations and smoking cigarettes. We were sitting under a tree as it was thick enough for us to both lay our backs on and sit relaxed. We were having a good time until we started hearing a sound, like two rocks smashing into each other, or one rock smashing onto the ground again and again, and we were getting pretty confused. I told my friend that it must be a cat trying to climb a tree, making the weak branches fall off, making the sound like a rock thing. But it didn't stop for like three or four minutes though. Now after some minutes it stopped for a while and we were still assuming it was an animal making these sounds. Things went silent for five minutes and we started a conversation about the forest atmosphere being so windy and cold. Then apparently a rock fell on my friend's head. Wonder how a rock can be up in a tree. Four or five seconds later a big branch from the tree fell on my lap scaring the shit out of me. And once again, my friend felt water drops falling on his head and neck from up the tree. How is there water dripping from a tree when rainy season was already over two months ago? This night was clearly not our lucky night, as we heard the same sounds of the rock smashing again. But now it sounds like it's getting closer. Immediately, without any options to choose, we decided to run out of the forest as quick as we could. We left the forest safe and sound and headed to our homes. A few days after the incident, one of our friends posted news about the same forest. There was a huge tower, just like a lighthouse, as it said by the post. We saw the tower from a distance, but didn't get closer, as it was a rocky area and there was a chance of us falling off a small cliff. So in the post, a boy was passing by the tower, and the first thing he saw was a person, but only its head. The post also said the police couldn't find the body, but just the head of the man which was already found by the same person who saw it while passing. But my question is, what happened to this guy? How in the world can this ever happen to someone? The weird experience we had a few days ago in that same forest, was this the same guy doing this after his death? My questions will never be answered, and I will never visit that forest again. So, this will probably get lost in the subreddit, but whatever. It's a story I didn't share to many, because I guess it isn't as creepy as it gets, but I'll never forget it. My best friend and I live near a forest, or more like woods, with a little river. We as kids love to go there after playing video games. One time we went there because we were bored. It was a sunny day, but I don't remember the month. I was around 11 or 12 at the time. We were in the forest and throwing rocks into a teeny river, just walking and talking. As we were just walking, I felt observed like never before. I asked my friend if he had the same feeling, and he told me that he did in fact. We looked around until we saw a stranger. He 
was on the top of the hill looking down at us, all dressed in white, a menacing bald guy. We were petrified. We started running out of the forest. We were so scared. I never ran so fast in my life. I was shitting my pants. He had no reason to be there, just looking at us. He could have said something, but he didn't say a word, and we just stared at him for like 10 seconds, scared as we were. I had no idea who this guy was or what he wanted, but I never went back into those woods ever again. And what is most weird in the story is, after that, I felt like I was being observed for a very long time at random moments, like while in bed. Back in 2016, my friends and I for the longest time had been itching to go camping to our local campsite in Los Padres National Park in Southern California. We found the perfect weekend to go that didn't interfere with any of our work schedules. We set the date. Three days before the trip, we found out that we were going to be hit by the El Nino rainstorm. Us being the dudes that we are, we didn't care if we got hit by the storm while camping, so we packed up our cars and made the 45 minute drive to the campsite. The campsite was a family friendly one, where there were about 100 camping lots that circled around the clearing in the forest. We found the perfect spot that was underneath a huge thick tree that would help block out as much of the rain as possible, and it helped that the restrooms were only 30 yards away. As soon as we got to our spot, we took advantage of the afternoon sky being cleared for a moment, and we rushed to set up our spot. The layout that we did was that we pitched our tents close by, where our tent doors were only about 6 feet apart. The reason why we did this was to combat the rain, and in order to combat the rain, I brought a 30 foot by 30 foot thick blue canopy tarp that I threw over to cover us from the rain above, and the rain that would have been running through the ground. It was a genius move on my part, but whenever you would walk around the tent, you'd be making so much noise from the crunching of the plastic tarp. Hours passed and we were around the campfire. It was late into the evening and this was the first time I noticed that there were barely any other campers. They were mainly camping in their RVs, like the fake campers they were. Honest opinion, they were the smart ones, unlike my friends and I that were sleeping out in two small tents with our only protection being a blue tarp. I was getting tired from the long day of work and decided I was going to go off to knock out. My friends followed my lead as well. The way of the sleeping arrangements were, was that I had my friend Ray sleeping in my tent and AJ and S were sleeping in theirs. Before I called it a night, I whispered to Ray and told him, I'm going to prank call S and AJ, but I'm not going to say anything. Ray smiled and I dialed my friends up. I called them unrestricted, and S's phone started to ring. Both of them, being the way that they are, got timid very easily when he said to S, Who's calling you this late at night? I don't know. They called me unrestricted. Are you going to answer? Of course not. Ray and I were holding in our laughter as they ignored our call. I decided to do it one more time. Once their phone started ringing, they started freaking out once again and said, Who is it this time? Same person, I think. I'm going to answer. As they did answer, S said very shakily, Hello? Ray and I had to hold in our laughter as we kept as quiet as possible, not wanting to make any noises that would give off that it was us. I held the phone close to my mouth as I began to breathe heavily in a murderous way. I ended the call, and just hearing them freak out the way they did was making my night even better. 
Me being the idiot I am, I called it one more time, and this time, S picked up the phone immediately and said in a tough voice, Look, whoever this is, better stop. I'm gonna call the cops if you keep calling. This is not a threat. Ray and I looked at one another, and at the same time began to fake moan so loud and immediately started to bawl out in laughter. AJ and S were so mad at us for pulling a prank that they were cussing us out. Me, finally calming down from laughing so loudly, told the boys, Good night. I'll have pancakes ready in the morning. Since I fall asleep relatively easily, I was out in a matter of minutes, while Ray, AJ, and S were up for a while longer. I was one of the first of my friends to wake up in the morning, and as I promised, I had the pancakes already cooking by the time anyone else woke up. The smell of me cooking woke up my friends, and one by one, they got out of their tents. As we were eating, AJ spoke up and said, Hey Jay, that prank you pulled on us last night went a little too far. Yeah, you had us ready to run to our car and take off. Me feeling a little bit guilty, I apologized and said, Sorry guys, my bad. Yeah, it's one thing to prank calls like that, but to walk around our tent and then go inside it in the middle of the night is totally out of the limits, S said. Me not knowing what they were talking about said, What do you guys mean? Come on, still with the jokes. You were the one that was walking around our tent, and you walked in. Ray spoke up and said, That wasn't Jay who was walking around. I thought that was one of you getting your revenge on us for scaring you. That wasn't us doing that. It was you two. So to explain, after I fell asleep, about an hour had passed where Ray, S, and AJ were still up, and all was quiet in the forest, until the sounds of footsteps were heard stepping on a blue tarp that was on the ground. At first, my friends thought it could have just been a forest animal wandering around, but the heavy footsteps were a dead giveaway that it was a person. As they described, the person was walking all around the tents, making constant figure eights. The person would place their fingers on the fabric of the walls and run them up and down. The footsteps finally stopped after a couple minutes, right in between our tents. The three of them were already having their hearts pounding out of their chest. It was silent for a long minute until the sound of the tent zipper being slid open. As AJ says, the tent door was only opened halfway, and it was too dark to see anything clearly. But in the darkness, both S and AJ saw a silhouette of a man pop his head into the tent and look at both of them. AJ and S faked being asleep the entire time, but kept their eyes locked on the man. The man then opened the tent fully and walked inside the tent just standing at the entrance. He didn't say a word or do anything, just watched both of them laying there in their sleeping bags. After the longest minute ever, the man just turned around and stepped out of the tent and his footsteps were heard walking away, disappearing into the night. The entire time that this was happening, S and AJ thought it was either me or Ray and Ray thought it was either AJ or S doing this. Back to us arguing back and forth at the breakfast table, We were interrupted by a man walking to our campsite. He said, Good morning, boys. How did you four sleep last night? This man spoke in a smoker's voice, as if he had been smoking for all of his 45 years of being alive. He wore a dirty, sweat-stained white t-shirt that looked more gray at this point, and his blue jeans looked like they had never been taken off. He smelled like liquor, not a good sign at 8 in the morning, and his words were just mumbling around. We didn't say a word to the guy, as he then asked us if we had any cigarettes to spare. 
I said that we didn't smoke, and he said, Oh well, if you boys want to visit me in my RV, just stop by any time. The man continued to walk away towards the restrooms, and after he was done using it, he walked back to our campsite. He didn't say anything this time, but he looked at us and gave us a nearly toothless smile and walked back to his RV. I took note of his RV as it was the only RV that stuck out as being dirty and more run down than the others. We quickly summed up that this was the person walking around our tents last night and Esther and AJ now remembered that they smelt liquor from the person who was standing in their tent. We all agreed that we would keep an extra eye on this guy and if he did spend another night we would most likely report him to the park rangers if he tried anything else. When it was around lunchtime, the man came back, not to use the restrooms, but just to talk to us. So, are you boys interested in buying an RV? You all can check it out right now and see if you want to buy it. I don't need it anymore since my wife left me. Just check out the inside of the RV. No, we are good sir, I said with a visible threatening tone. The man seemed to notice this and walked away. The man did end up leaving a few hours before sunset, but the entire time he was there, he kept glancing at us. The man had the RV about 50 yards away from us and noticed that the restroom was next to his RV. Why did he make the effort into walking way over to our campsite to use our restroom? Also, why did he even use ours if RVs come with restrooms installed in them? Whatever this man wanted, we were just glad that we were able to enjoy the rest of our weekend. About seven years ago, I went lightweight camping with a friend in a national forest that we were very familiar with. It was night, camp was set, and we were at camp around the campfire. Unexpectedly, it started raining, like Vietnam raining, which was very odd because the whole weekend there was no rain in the forecast at all. Anyway, we decided to pack up and head back to the truck with a roughly hour or so hike. The rain starts getting worse and the fog started to settle. That was alarming to me because we were on the ridge and the fog usually settles in the valleys, at least in my experience. So my friend and I are pretty creeped out by it. Now I know on the trail there is a very mild split where you can go back to the parking area or do a separate trail that goes a few miles to an equestrian trail. I've been on both several times. Well, we got mixed up in the inclement weather and took the ladder. We hiked for about 30 minutes or so and the rain stopped. It didn't slow or drizzle, just stopped. Hell, even the trail looked like it hardly rained on it. It was still very foggy. Both of us know we were in the right spot and something wasn't right. It was the hair on the back of your neck standing up kind of fucked up. We came down a hill and out of the thick fog somehow and before us was a dirt road. It had trees lining it and went on for as far as our flashlights reached. The temperature had to have dropped 20 degrees. It was fucking insane and everything about this area, which I knew did not exist, filled me and my buddy full of dread. I can't explain how absurd and unnatural this place was. The only feeling for me I can specifically nail down is that I did not belong there. So instead of being normal ass white people and investigating and dying, we decided to turn the fuck around and go home. Uneventful walk back, but when we left that area, it was back to rain, mud, and fog. 
I know for a fact this place where we were doesn't exist, not only from the memory of these trails, but also from Google Maps and investigating. Absolutely nothing like what we saw. So what the fuck was it? Where were we? And how do you explain it? No idea. I've even been back on those trails, albeit in daylight. Never saw that place again. This experience turned me on to the missing 411. Very interesting books, movies, and YouTube videos about bizarre weather phenomenon with a mix of supernatural, eventually leading to a missing persons. It gets even more weird. Last year, I started dreaming about the place and being there. I don't know, like a calling to it maybe. I called my buddy, who had moved away at the time, and told him I had to tell him something. He said, Bro, I've been dreaming about that place too. I in no way hinted at what I was going to say. It was terrifying and we decided we have to go back. He has moved back now and we're planning another trip to camp off the trail close to the place and we are going to investigate. I decided to take my dogs for a walk today on one of the trails near my house. I told my husband I was heading out and wouldn't be gone long. Vincent Woods Environmental Education Center was where I ended up. I got there around 11.30 in the morning and away we went. Absolutely beautiful day. Trails were totally empty. The perfect walk conditions. I had my two female Alaskan Malamutes. This is important later, I promise. We headed down the green trail since it was the shortest and went by some marsh, bogs, and the girls loved to watch the ducks. The walk was uneventful for the first little bit. Just birds chirping, trying to get some birdie love, and the wind in the trees, the usual forest sounds, and then I heard my name. Weird, but it could be someone with a radio on a different trail. Both the dogs were looking in the direction that we heard it come from. An uneasy feeling starts setting in, but like every other rational person, I chalked it up to be an overactive imagination and continued on. Then I heard my name again, a little louder and a little more insistent, if you will. Instead of looking towards where the sound came from, I looked at my dogs, who were both staring in the direction of my name, and I noticed my older female's hackles were slowly rising. Time to go, she's not happy. I decided to turn around and go back the way we came from. We had only been gone maybe 10 minutes down the trail, so it was faster just to turn back. I hear my name again. We walk faster because now the hair on both the dogs are up. One is two years old and her daughter is eight months. Hackles up on a puppy is definitely a sign that they're scared. Then I notice my dogs aren't pulling me. They're Alaska Malamutes. They're bred to pull. Anytime we walk, literally anywhere on the leash, they are pulling. These two dogs are directly besides me, one on the left and one on the right. She now has a low constant growl like she's warning whatever she can't see to fuck right off. On our way back to the exact route we came from, there was a log in the middle of the trail. I could see my shoe print in the mud and my dog's print heading in the direction under the log. This log was not there on the way. It was big enough and awkward enough that we had to go around it, not far off the trail, just a few steps. I tell my dogs let's go, they follow reluctantly. We hustle back onto the trail, then I hear Echo's name. She looks. Shortly later, I hear Kive. 
We're now on a light jog, back to the car. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up, and everything in my body is screaming to run. Run faster. I hear my name again, this time angry. The closer we got to the trailhead, the more desperate my name sounds. We're full on running now. When we get to the parking lot, I notice I can hear the wind and the birds again. I hadn't realized that I stopped hearing the birds and the wind. We piled into the car as fast as I could get them in and didn't look back. Am I crazy? Did I upset something? I didn't take anything. I didn't move anything. I didn't touch anything. Anytime I take my dogs on the trail, I'm careful to respect nature and make sure my dogs do too. We even bring our own sticks for them to carry, if they want one. So don't take anything from the parks. Okay, so I'm not a conspiracy theorist or believing ghost of such, but this is, I promise, a real story that happened to me in the woods as a 14 year old. So as a kid, my dad and I would walk in the cool locations in the forest with our family. The area we frequented a lot was nicknamed the Blue Lagoon. The area was immensely dense and people used to camp there way back in the 70s. Long story short, we were walking in the forest. My family was in front and I stayed back a little because I was looking for small ponds because it had a weird color. As I turned around, in the distance in the forest was something black, human shaped and was running through the forest. Note the forest entrance only had one road to access and we parked at the end of the road and no cars were around it. I quickly panicked and ran towards my parents. I told them and everyone was spooked out and got back into the car and we just went home. The forest was cut down a couple years later. After watching a couple 411 cases, it made me remember that event. Edit. Okay, so I just spoke on the phone with my dad. He remembers it and said the reason why everyone was spooked because when he was 14, he was in the same spot having a picnic with his Nana. All of a sudden she said get in the car and everyone ran to the car. And he said he could see a black figure of a tall man running through the forest. And apparently the area had many sightings. Hey y'all, I'm a hiker and enjoy walking and cycling the many trails in the mountains and woods around my hometown in Vancouver, Canada. I usually stick to the same trails, so the areas are always familiar. However, once in a while, I get a gut feeling that the woods are different. It's hard to describe, but something in the woods just feels off. Like they've changed in some weird way from the last time I was there. Almost as if the trees have moved, even though they haven't. It feels pretty eerie and I usually get creeped out. This has happened to me about 10 times in Vancouver, usually in the North Shore Mountains and also in the trails near UBC. I had also had this happen to me in Southern California, hiking the trails near my boyfriend's house outside of San Diego. I'm a pretty skeptical person and don't really believe in supernatural stuff, although I find it interesting. My skeptical explanation is that sometimes I hike at different times of the day, so the shadows from the sun are in different spots than I'm used to, making everything seem off. Not sure why this makes me feel so eerie though. That being said, this feels a lot like what I've seen described on the sub and in the documentaries, so I'm curious what thoughts you might have.
I've been hesitant to write this because I'm not sure how well it fits with the other stories. This was in Canada and in a relatively small conservation area near my parents' house. It was three years ago. I just finished my college program and moved back home with my parents while I looked for a job in my field. My parents have a Springer Spaniel who I would take on long hikes through the conservation area their house backed onto. The area has lots of trails. Most are small and stick to the less dense forest, but I, being familiar with the trails from growing up so close to them, didn't follow the markers and instead just usually head over the little bridge into the deeper woods. Since I rarely run into people past the bridge and my dog is well trained, I let her off the leash. I usually listen to a podcast and alternate from running to walking to get some exercise. I've never felt scared in the woods. There are some coyote sightings, but they're rare, no bears, and definitely no big cats. This day started like any other. I took the dog through the sparse forest and reached the bridge to cross into the deeper forest. I have no idea why, but as soon as I crossed the bridge, I felt a heaviness in the air. I felt nervous, and the forest seemed darker. It was like I was suddenly full of dread. The dog, who normally ran wild, stayed close to me. I had to take my headphones out because I felt too unsafe with them in. We walked our normal route, and the unsettling feeling only escalated. Maybe unrelated, but we saw a dead raccoon laying on the trail. A sight I'd never seen before in the usually well-kept trail. Something about it just seemed wrong, and I'm not sure why. It was covered with maggots and looked like something out of a horror movie. We kept walking until we reached the area of the forest that a field with very tall grass with the trail that we cut through. You can't see a foot into the grass. It is so tall and dense. We were walking until my dog suddenly stopped and started growling, staring into the grass beside us. My dog never growls. She is the sweetest girl ever. Instantly, I was scared and stopped walking. I decided to clip the leash back on the dog just in case I had to run. She kept growling while I stayed silent, frozen, and listening. Suddenly, I heard what sounded like a human walking through the grass towards us. It sounded big, and I could hear distinctly the sound of human footsteps. There was no reason for a person to be standing in the tall grass that deep into the woods. The sound of footsteps broke my frozen state, and I suddenly booked it back the way we came. The dog seemed in agreement and ran with me. I didn't look back until we were over the bridge. When I did, there was nothing chasing us. I didn't go back in for a while. I was too creeped out. When I finally did go back, I couldn't have my headphones in anymore. I don't know what happened that day, but I've never felt that kind of dread in my life. My partner and I have become avid campers since our time together. We don't go anywhere too extreme and offer well-traversed campgrounds as we love meeting and getting to know the other campers. One of our favorite spots is a man-made quarry turned private fenced-in campgrounds that boast around 3,000 campsites in rural Ohio. This incident happened at that campground September 28, 2019. We brought our camper instead of our tank gear but we're stuck up by the front with all the other RVs and pull behind campers. 
We were bummed, but since we love spending time in the woods, we opted to spend most of the weekend hiking through the woods and visiting other campsites. Late in the evening, we were doing one of our hikes where we came up with a brilliant idea to get lost or walk with no direction and just take different paths and turns as we came across them. Since it was all fenced in, we figured there wasn't much bad that could happen. All of our twists and turns ended up taking us back to the very campgrounds, where campsites are more far apart from each other and neighbor several hundred acres of forest behind the campground's fence. It was a nice quiet stroll and went on for a while. My partner noticed the porter john and stated that he needed to make a stop. I said okay and kept walking ahead, both to give him privacy and to just drink in the beautiful summer night alone. I stopped maybe 30 feet ahead down the path. A few minutes passed before something happened. As I was standing there with my back towards the porta john, I heard rustling noises behind me, then a thud. Thinking it was my partner finishing up and exiting the porta john, I waited a couple more seconds for him to catch up to me as I looked out into the woods. My partner is tall and athletic, and I heard him running behind me. I both heard the footfalls and felt him come up behind me quickly as if he was trying to spook me. I smiled and spun around really fast to look up at him and catch him right before he could touch me. But to my shock when I spun around there was no one there. No one. Not my partner. Not another person on the path. No one even in the sparse campsites with an eyesight. But I swear on my life I could feel someone standing directly in front of me. Someone or something, just as tall if not taller than my partner. I know what it feels like to have him tower over me, and I felt that same sensation. I instantly dropped my smile and froze. I didn't know what to do. I felt like if I moved, I would be in serious danger, and I felt like I suddenly couldn't hear anything. It just felt like time stopped, and I didn't even want to breathe. The air got heavy and tense, almost like it got very humid very fast. Just when I felt the tension was at its peak, my partner exited the porter john and loudly started talking to me while walking over. As soon as he was within 8 feet of me, the sensation of someone standing in front of me disappeared. The air cleared and the heaviness quickly dissipated. The whole incident couldn't have been more than 20 seconds, but it felt so much longer. I said nothing as we continued to walk, shaken. I asked to go head back to the camper. I generally believe that if I had walked in a bit farther ahead, or if my partner had just taken a minute longer, I wouldn't be typing this. I lived in the Pacific Northwest in Kitsap County, Washington. Since then, I've always lived on the edge of a body of water, mainly the Great Lakes, Erie, and Ontario. I currently live in a country that has been previously mentioned in one of the missing 411 cases. I can't help but feel that I dodged a bullet that night, even though I had no idea what could have been facing me at the time, and I didn't discover the missing 411 phenomena until this year. I'm grateful for my partner every day and view him as my protector. Hi all, I ran into Pilates work a few months ago from a YouTube video that mentioned him and missing 411. I've yet to read his books but I've seen his movies and had a deep dive on his YouTube channel to learn some more. A common component from people's experiences seems to be an inexplicable feeling of foreboding or of being watched. I had experienced something along those lines when I was hiking in the Alabama hills two years ago. 
I've never spoken or written about this experience before, and I'm honestly struggling to make sense of it. I was on my way back to California from two weeks of camping, sightseeing, in Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. I wanted to camp in the Alabama hills before driving through Yosemite and back to my home in the Bay Area. However, I spent the night before camping in the Antelope Island State Park in Utah. Then did some shopping in Salt Lake City before I decided to take the Highway 50, the loneliest highway, through Nevada, and then a quick drive through Great Bison National Park before crossing the border into California. By the time I got to the Alabama Hills, it was dark, and I didn't want to mess around with trying to find a campsite in the dark, unfamiliar terrain, and I really wanted a shower, so I decided to get a motel room for the night in Lone Pine, California. The following morning, I was up before the sun, figuring there'd be some spectacular sunrise photos to be had from Alabama Hills. After driving around and taking pictures, I thought I would go for a hike to stretch my legs and exercise the dog for a bit before the long drive to Yosemite. There's an arch formation that didn't seem too far off the hike, so that was my intended destination. I had the dog off leash and we were well on our way, maybe 200 yards from the truck, when suddenly, my dog stops in the middle of the trail and just freezes, staring at something up ahead. I walk up to him and stop, trying to see what he's staring at. The sun was sort of in my eyes and I couldn't really make out anything. Suddenly, my dog got his hackles up and bares his teeth, starts growling and lets loose a frantic volley of barking. Thought that it must be a predator, coyotes, maybe a mountain lion or something, so I immediately reached for my pepper spray. Now, my dog is no stranger to nature. I've had him for four years at this point, and he's been in more national parks than almost anyone I knew. We racked up a lot of miles together, and I can read his body language very well. I've seen him scared from fireworks, but I've never seen him get aggressive at anything. He's not a barker by nature, unless UPS is delivering at my house, or the doorbell goes off. He's part terrier, and has a strong prey drive, so he will go after anything that runs away from him. Cats, squirrels, birds. But he's also a big pussy and won't generally mess with bigger animals. The day before, we had walked past a herd of bison and he didn't utter a peep. So to see him just absolutely frantically aggressive and scared at the same time just baffled me and it immediately started ringing alarm bells. Now, I don't know if it was feeding off my dog's energy, but I suddenly got this very deep sense of foreboding, like something was watching and hunting me. It instantly triggered my fight or flight reflex, mainly flight because I still couldn't see anything. Now, I'm 40 years old, grew up in the middle of a civil war. I was a bona fide gang member in my teens. I'm a US Army infantry veteran and I've been working as a security contractor since I separated from the service. In short, I've seen some stuff and I have some faith in my fighting abilities. This was one of the few times in my life where I was really scared for my life. Legs wobbly, can't breathe kinda scared. I transferred my pepper spray to my left hand and drew my pocket knife into an overgrip on my right hand. I was kicking myself for leaving my Glock 19 behind in the truck we were at a standoff for what felt like an eternity, but it was probably no longer than a minute. My dog, alternating between staring and barking, still with his hackles up, head down, teeth bared, all classic signs of aggression. 
I tried to coax him forward, but he wasn't budging. I was also reluctant to turn my back just in case it was a mountain lion, and I didn't want to trigger the attack. So I started retreating, face and body still facing forward. I started stepping backwards. My dog also started stepping backwards right next to me, still growling, still with his hackles up. We backtracked maybe 20 yards around this rock formation when my dog suddenly bolts back to the truck. You know that joke about two guys and the bear and just needing to run faster than the other guy? Well, I was the other guy. And the absurdly comical thought that passed through my head was, you little shit, you just left me to be Ian. My dog was gone. I wasn't as fast as him and I couldn't remember the last time I ran, but I ran after him downhill, full on scared for my life, sprinting. Another absurd thought popped in my head. If I trip now and accidentally stab myself with my own knife, my mom's gonna laugh at my funeral. Finally, the terrain opens up and I can see my truck and my dog stopped and looks back at me, no longer in an aggressive posture. So I come to a stop and turn around, ready to fight whatever was chasing me. Nothing. Not a damn thing. I've never told the story to anyone else because it makes me sound like a big pussy, but the fear was very real. Even just typing this up and recounting this, I'm getting shivers and the tingly feeling, and I probably have elevated blood pressure right now. I've never seen my dog act that way before, so maybe I was just feeding off his energy and his fear transferred to me. I don't know. I can't explain it, but it's one of those few times in my life that I felt like prey. I don't go unarmed in nature anymore. I do have a license to carry, but very often when I'm out there, I didn't bother to carry a firearm. Prior to this incident, I thought the biggest threat I would encounter were other people, so I usually only carried in urban situations. Not that there's no bad people in the wild, but I figured the odds were in my favor. Not anymore. I'd probably carry an AR pistol with drum mags the next time I go hiking way out there. Back in 2007, I was taking a walk with my boyfriend down to my neighborhood park. I can't exactly remember how late in the evening it was, but it was dark out, probably around 8 or 9 p.m. The park is at the end of a cul-de-sac, and it backs up to a small wooded area and a creek. As we are getting closer to the park, we start hearing very unusual and loud sounds that were like a snarling, screeching ape. We figured it was just a coyote or a fox or something and continued towards the swing set area at the park. We sat down at a bench facing the wooded area when we started to hear those noises again and branches snapping. In the direction of the noises, we saw a treetop violently shaking as if a huge animal was on it, but we couldn't see a figure or anything at all. It was as if what we were looking at was an invisible force. I wanted to take a closer look, but my boyfriend pulled me away, and we started walking back towards the street. We stopped under the street light and listened some more. Then we watched the tree's motion jump from the trees behind the swing to a completely different side of the park. A different treetop was shaking, and we could hear the branches snapping and the weird animal noises coming from it. Never thought I would share this experience. I'll always wonder what it was.
This happened in Grindstone, Pennsylvania back in the 90s. I was probably around 8 years old and my brother was about 5-ish. We lived on a couple acres in the country with a farm on one side and your basic farm fencing with a thick forest on the other side. With growing up in the sticks and dad being an avid hunter, us kids were taught to be aware of our surroundings and wild animals, things like that. Also we were taught never to wander off without telling an adult, not to trust strangers, the normal safety stuff kids are taught. Anyways, as a kid I thought the woods were creepy and scary. There was no way in hell I would go into them by myself. So I was playing outside with my little brother and he went to the house. There I was by myself when I heard my mom calling for me. Kimberly, come here. Kimberly, over here. Come here, Kimmy. This was a little weird to me because why would my mom be in the woods right now? I climbed over the fence anyways and started walking towards my mom's voice. Then out of the blue, I felt like I was being watched and got this bad feeling. I started to wonder how my mom got into the woods without going past me. You know, thoughts like that. So I turned quickly and ran back to the house where I found my mom at the kitchen table and my brother playing video games in the living room. I then asked her if she called for me and she said no and asked me why. I told her what happened. This led to us being told to stay inside and play inside for the rest of the day. I'm now in my early 30s and I've asked my mom about this incident and she still swears that she never called for me. There's something about this situation that still really bothers me to this day. Hey all, I'm not going to provide the exact location for this as this happened on the trail that my mom and I walked the dog on every day for the last 10 years. It was pretty close to our home. I live in a rural area of the Pacific Northwest and so there are a lot of trails just outside of town that bordered on a lot of forest. This was one of those but it was probably the biggest trail in my town. It was actually an access road to some stuff so it was about 10 feet wide and gravel. At the time I briefly went missing, I was about 10 years old and I had walked the trail every single day for 3-4 to four years. My mom was with me, as was our dog, an 85 pound Rottweiler lab mix. I had been warned not to go off the trail and wouldn't have normally, but there was a small sub trail that had a rope swing over a creek. I loved to play there as a kid and that day I crossed the creek on the fallen tree bridge to hang out on the side while my mom talked to her friend that she ran into. I was within sight of my mom, a clear view across the creek, when all of a sudden it was like things swirled. My surroundings were completely unfamiliar and there were plants that shouldn't have been there. The wrong kind of trees with the leaves at slightly the wrong point of the season. Of course, I knew what to do if I got lost. I hugged a tree and shouted for my mom. I was probably 300 yards away at the time, at the absolute most. She should have heard me, but she didn't. I wasn't there for very long before a dog came and got me. He wasn't a very smart dog, with all love, saying he was dumb as a bag of rocks would have been an insult to the rocks. He also didn't like me nearly as much as he liked my mom, total mama's boy and would have stayed near her, but he calmly walked up to me, nuzzled my hand so it was on his head, and walked me back to the creek where I could see my mom. 
I thought I'd been gone for 15 minutes or so, but apparently it had been an hour plus and multiple people were looking for me, including walking directly on the path I had never left. I'm not sure if this is the right place, but I've held this story in for the last six years because it sounds crazy and I got told not to talk about it. I went camping six years ago with a now ex-boyfriend of mine. The campsite we picked was beautiful. We were able to drive up through some small trails. The spot we picked was next to a hiking trail that weren't very far from the natural hot springs and a huge waterfall. We were in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely no one was around us. We set up our camp next to the car, went hiking, soaked in the hot springs, came back and had dinner. It was all very normal until we woke up the next day. I need to give some context of how we slept that night so you can understand my confusion. Before we went to sleep, I put our food cooler and stereo that we had brought into the car and locked it. I put the keys in my front pocket of my backpack and put the backpack next to my sleeping bag on the far side of the tent, away from the door of the tent. My boyfriend at the time slept nearest to the door of the tent with his gun next to him. We woke up in the morning and I felt fine. I slept hard from the inside of the tent and everything seemed normal. When we got out, our campsite was absolute chaos. The fire pit we had made was ruined. The cooler had been thrown and the food was scattered all over the place. The stereo was smashed to pieces laying next to a tree. All the car doors were open, including the trunk. We stood there for a minute, in silence, just taking everything in. The woods felt off now. It was quiet, and not the beautiful campsite that we saw yesterday. Everything about those woods felt wrong now. My ex accused me of not locking the car doors the night before, and that an animal had got to our stuff. I promised that I locked it, and went in the tent to grab the keys from my backpack, but they weren't there. I found them later on the ground right next to the car. We quickly threw everything into the trunk and left. My boyfriend was quiet and wouldn't talk to me about what just happened. He finally spoke when we were almost home and told me that he had a dream the night before about someone kneeling over him in the tent holding his gun and just staring at him. When I tried to ask him more questions he got quiet again and said he didn't want to talk about it and that we shouldn't talk about it anymore either. I try to forget about it, but I just can't. Something really wrong happened to us in the woods that night. This happened back when I was in 6th grade, and it was something I never told anyone, because at the time, I wrote it off as me just being a big baby. The summer after 5th grade, my family had to move. We moved to a small house out in the middle of nowhere that my parents rented from some family friends. The house and my neighbor's house, who were my landlords, sat on 10 acres of land. To maintain privacy, when the landlords originally bought the property, they decided to have the house built far back from the main road. And when they decided to build the new house, they set it even further back. Therefore, the driveway was very long. A small cluster of trees blocked both houses from view of the road as well. The rest of the driveway was nestled between two large, open fields. In one field stood an old radio tower with an old white building of housing equipment behind it. The main road wasn't really well traveled, given that this is the middle of nowhere. 
so it tended to get very dark. There was only one street light on the property that was close to the end of the driveway, and I was underneath it one summer evening as I walked back from my friend's house. It was dark, and I knew I had to get home since my parents didn't like me being outside too late, even if it was summer and I didn't have school. As I passed under the street light, I noticed a car coming down the road. It passed me, and I watched it carefully. It suddenly hit its brakes and pulled into another neighbor's driveway. When the car did that, it was blocked from my view by the white building of the old radio tower. Something seemed very off about the entire circumstance, so I ran quickly into the field. I heard the car quickly back up and rushed down the road. There was no time to make it back to my house, and with the fields on either side of me, there wasn't really much else I could do. Luckily, these fields weren't used by anyone, and therefore had tall, overgrown grass and weeds. I got just a few feet into the fields and lay down on my stomach hopeful that I was far enough in the field to be properly hidden. The car pulled down the driveway slowly, then I heard the door open. I don't know if the man got out or not, but in a rough voice, I heard, Little girl, where'd you go? I need help. I knew enough about stranger danger, being a child of the 90s, so I stayed right there and didn't make a peep. It felt like a long time passed before I heard the door finally close and back out of the driveway. I was still laying down in the field, scared that the man might be waiting for me to come out of my spot. When I was sure, I heard absolutely nothing that could be a car. I poked my head up, very slowly, and the man's car was gone. I quickly got up and raced back home. Later that night, I convinced myself that the man probably just needed help, but as an adult now, I sincerely doubt that. Luckily, I never met this man or saw his car again. About three months ago, my wife, then fiance, and I were driving from Oregon to Arizona. We were in a part of Nevada that was in the middle of nowhere. We were on the end of a 70 mile stretch with no cell service and it was midnight. My wife is a small girl, only 5'1", about 100 pounds. I often joke when I see her at work, Oh, it must be take your child to work day. She's that small. It was my wife's turn to drive at this point. So I reclined in my seat, out of view, sleeping. All of a sudden she shakes me awake and says, This guy has been following me on my ass for a while. I glance behind to see a big F-350 only 10 feet behind us. I told her to just speed up, figuring he just wanted us to go a little faster, but he keeps the same distance from us. All of a sudden, he shoots out to the oncoming lane and overtakes us, then proceeds to slow in front of us, bringing our speed down to only about 10 miles per hour. She backs off a considerable distance when he slams on his brakes and starts opening his door. At this point, I sit all the way up, and I roll down my window, and I'm a pretty big guy. He spots me, slams his door shut, and takes off. I'm not one to jump to the conclusions, but I feel like if he didn't see me, he would have definitely tried to take my wife. It shook us pretty bad, and at the next gas station we found, the attendant called it in. Luckily, I got his plate numbers, and that's why you don't drive in the middle of nowhere, alone.
in the middle of the night. You never know who's out there. This happened quite a few years ago when I was a relatively young and sheltered high school student, probably 15 years old. Some of my close girlfriends and I decided to go to the drive-in movie theater one night. They showed two movies in a row, and the whole thing would end late at night, probably around 1 or 2 a.m. or so. The five of us all drive in my friend Aaron's car, and we're all putting our seats down and settling back with our blankets and pillows. Aaron recognizes a guy, David, that she had met a few times because he worked at her gym. He was at the drive-in alone. Not necessarily weird, just not something that many people did in my town. And he came over to chit-chat. Immediately, one of my other friends, Corin, took a liking to this guy and began flirting up a storm. It wasn't soon until she invited him to watch the movie with us inside of Aaron's car. It also wasn't soon until this David guy offered us alcohol. And we're 15 to 17 year olds, but we accepted. Looking back now... That was a red flag. I was weary of this whole David character as he appeared to be a lot older than us and he gave me somewhat of a weird vibe. But since Aaron seemed to know him and my friends weren't acting alarmed, I didn't give it too much thought. We're not even 15 minutes into the movie and I'm too uncomfortable to enjoy myself. Six people crammed into a car and Corrine and David cuddling flirting Who knows what was taking place under those blankets. And this made me want to get out of there ASAP. So when David suggested that me and my other friends could watch the movie in his car while he stays in Aaron's car canoodling, I jump up and take the offer. David's car was a small sedan with little room. So we had to sit in the seats normally, as if we were about to ride in the car. Although I was a little uncomfortable sitting in the driver's seat with the steering wheel between me and the screen, I was glad to finally find some personal space. That all changed when I dropped my phone. It landed somewhere underneath the driver's seat. While blindly reaching underneath to find my phone, I grabbed onto a hard object that I realized was a lot heavier and denser than my iPhone when I began to lift it up. To my complete and utter surprise, I realized it was a gun. I had never seen a real gun before to this point in my life. So it could have been fake, or a BB gun, or whatever else. But it looked real, felt real, and was hidden under his driver's seat for easy access. I freaked out, because even if it was a fake gun, what could he be intending to use it for, besides intimidation? For whatever reasons, my friends didn't find it as startling as I did, and they managed to calm me down, and concluded the best thing for us to do was just put it back under the seat where I found it. That was fine to me, as I didn't plan to ever be in his car again once the movie was over, and I definitely didn't plan to be in the car when David was in it. Ever. The rest of the two movies went by fine. We were drinking beer that this David character so kindly provided for us, and we were having a pretty fun time. It was really late by the time the second movie ends, and I was ready to get back to our friend Erica's house, where we were all sleeping. I hop out of David's car when I see that Aaron's car is already driving away. Corrine pops up and cheerfully announces, David has offered us a ride home. How nice of him, right? Now that we are stranded and having no other way to get home, 
and being slightly intoxicated. I watched the rest of my friends pile into his car, so I followed suit, even though I had my hesitations. David sat in the driver's seat, and I sat behind David, while Corrine sat shotgun, beginning to play her signature Justin Bieber playlist through the speakers. The car ride started off normal enough, with Erica giving directions to the house, Corrine not paying attention to anything but Bieber, and me feeling uneasy and hyper aware of the situation. As we were approaching Erica's house, David asked us if we have time to take a quick drive up to the reservoir, which was located on the outskirts of town, very isolated and surrounded by a heavy wooded area. It's probably about 2 a.m. at this point. The only person who even slightly knew this random man had left us, and I know there's a very real gun underneath this guy's seat that he doesn't know I know about. So of course I say no. David just says, we're going up to the reservoir. Confused and alarm, I politely start protesting, saying we don't have the time and we're expected at home. But every word I say, David turns the volume up on the music louder and louder, drowning out my voice and obviously ignoring me as he starts to head up the long, dark road that leads to the reservoir. I go into a panic mode. Annoyed that none of my friends are doing anything, especially Corrine, who is still singing along with Justin Bieber. I start to freak out. I decide he can't take us to the reservoir. He just can't. What if that gun is real and he threatens us with it, or worse? What if the gun isn't real, but he still uses it to threaten us, or do something? A million thoughts race through my head. I won't let him take us to a secluded area where a number of things could happen and no one could hear us. I decide if he's going to do something to us, I would rather risk it being in town, one of the most populated areas, where the chances of survival or whatever were better. So I literally freak out. All sense of politeness I felt I needed to have is gone. I start kicking the back of the chair with both my feet, screaming at the top of my lungs that he needs to take us back now. I roll down my window and start shouting, trying to cause a scene, doing anything I can to stop this man from driving us to the middle of nowhere. I don't stop kicking or screaming until he relents, almost scoffs and says, fine, as if I was some crazy lady, completely overreacting to the situation. I don't care what he thinks, I'm just relieved that he turns his car around and is actually taking us back to Erica's house. Once we get there, and run out of the car. We wake up Erica's parents and let them know what just happened since this guy now has one of our addresses. I didn't sleep the whole night and my friendship with Corrine was damaged from her putting us in such a terrifying situation just cause she had hots for some guy. Creepy drive-in movies guy with a hidden gun who doesn't listen to a scared 15 year old girl. Let's not meet again.